pulled weight off my bar, which is just so superficial. Like, who really cares? And I was just, I just broke down and started bawling my eyes out. And the first thing I said to him without an explanation was just like, I just want to be a mum. And he was like, what? <laughs> and that was my breaking point. And so... That's Elise Wood, Australian kayaker, Olympian, world champion, and this week's guest on the Movement Podcast. Brought to you by 776 BC. Great to have you on board, Elise, and really sort of uh, excited to talk through your career as an athlete, but um, sort of also where you sort of started from. But thanks for joining us. Thanks. It's good to be here. Excited for the chat. Well, I mean, like you know, with the uh, with podcasts, they I was you know they usually sort of follow a, a normal sort of trend of sort of going back into your past. But I mean, it's a it's always a logical place because you know what we're trying to sort of do is give people a bit of an insight into you as a person and you as an athlete. And um, you started well, you grew up on the Sunshine Coast, so you were always probably going to be pretty active, but. Uh, were you always sort of interested in sport and could you always see yourself as an athlete? Is that is that sort of from very early on? Well, I, I guess, you know, my parents are both quite sporty. Um, they actually met playing squash, which is a sport that I've never tried. Um, I've got no hand-eye coordination, so they can, they can keep that to themselves. But, yeah, growing up on the Sunshine Coast, obviously you're surrounded by sport. Um, you're right next to the beach. And so it's kind of a, a natural progression um, when you're in a bit of a sporting family. But I think going through school, I was never, like, the best at sport. Um, I was always kind of somebody that... Yeah, you know, I, I had a good crack and I loved playing sports, so that helped. But um, I never had a lot of natural talent or anything like that. So I had to kind of work hard at it. And I think for me, like when I realized that I really wanted to be, um, I guess, an Olympic athlete or a high-performance athlete was um, 20 years ago. I went to the um, Sydney Olympics with mum and a friend and we went to watch a few um, events down there. and. Um, I kind of knew I wanted to be an Olympian then. I was only eight years old, but um, I just had to kind of figure out what sport. And so I spent a long time trying to figure it out uh, and never found anything that suited me because I can't catch a ball. I don't like swimming. I can swim, but I'm not like, you know, black line's a bit boring. So I went through all these different sports and kind of got to about 14, 15 and thought, yeah, it's not for me. Um, And I've always been in surf lifesaving and always – grew up um, on the beach and patrolling the beaches and so I thought okay well I'll be an iron woman um, and to be an iron woman you ski paddle um, and if you want to ski paddle you jump in a kayak to help with your technique uh, because obviously it skis in the ocean uh, and in the waves and a ski is really heavy whereas a kayak's on the flat water and it's um, it's a, uh, a lot lighter so it's easier to learn technique and yeah, that's kind of where the kayak journey started. So it was a bit of a progression in sport like this, but I got there in the end. <laughs> it's, I mean, and it's one of those cool things that you actually talk to a lot of Olympians and, you know, their inspiration often came from an Olympics that they saw early on. And so that's a pretty cool story in terms of the Sydney Olympics was almost that sort of catalyst to get the the dream sort of firing for you and then you almost then navigated your sporting career to try to find something that could get you to an Olympic Games, which, which you know, we always sort of 
there's always some commentary around, well, you know, how influential is the Olympics to get people motivated about sport and inspired about doing something special? And, I mean, that's a really sort of obvious, cool story that you've just told where it was a, a really clear, you know, event and something that happened in your sort of, um, you know, path to, to get you to compete at an Olympic Games eventually, which, um, yeah. So in terms of the... Well, the Iron Woman. I mean, like, how how sort of deep into that did you sort of go, and was that sort of something that um, you were sort of really competitive at, or was it sort of something that you were just testing out? Well, I guess you know, growing up in in surf, I always um, paddled a board and swam, so I was always you know as part of teams at a state and a national level, and. Um, through kind of 14, 15 years old, I started to win um, Australian medals. And so I thought, you know, the natural progression was to jump in a ski and become an Ironwoman. And that's, I guess, what a lot of kids from Surf Life Saving um, look to do and look to become um, if you're, you know, okay. And if you start to perform, you know, quite reasonably at the Australian level and obviously Surf Life Saving's um big in Australia, you know, internationally, it's probably not as big. So um, our country is, you know, the be all and end all basically of, of surf life saving. So, yeah, I think I, I started to go quite well in that and I've won um, quite a lot of Aussie medals in ski and, and board predominantly. And um, I'm from a surf club that has quite a strong pedigree of, of surf lifesavers and iron men, men and women. So, uh, it was obviously as well quite easy to see all these big names go through um, and try to follow in their footsteps. But at the same time, I'm also from a surf club that has a lot of kayakers in it. Um, Clint Robinson being one of them who's, you know, an absolute legend in kayaking and has won a few Olympic medals. And so um, that pathway was obviously always there as well, being able to follow in his footsteps. And you said early on that, um, you know, you were a good sort of, you were, I suppose, a good good at sports but potentially not the best in, you know, your sort of group growing up. Is that is that true or is that sort of, is that something that you sort of, you know, you being modest or were you, what was sort of some of the key, you must have had some really key attributes that has obviously got you to the level that you are now but was that sort of um, obvious early on? Yeah, look, I think um, obviously I, I you know, did make um, district level things and state level things, but um, outside of surf lifesaving, I never really found a sport that I really came in my own into my own. Um, in surf lifesaving, I have won a few medals at a state and Aussie level, but it didn't kind of start to happen for me until I was 14, 15. And it was only in team events. Um, we had a really, really strong group of girls in our surf club. So um, I kind of got pulled along with them, um, but they were always the one winning individual medals and um, being selected on representative teams and, and things. So um, I guess for me, though, you know, being in that position at that age um, and having to, you know, put in the hard yards and, um try to be the one, I guess, to get the individual births at different things um, made me a better athlete because, you know, growing up, I guess it wasn't just easy and I wasn't just naturally talented to be able to just go out and win. Um, but my friends were, you know, they were the ones that were at the front and I just wanted that so bad. And so, um, you know, when I was 15, 16, 17, that's when my hard work kind of started to really come into play and, um the results started to flip and I guess that's when I started kayaking and ski paddling and um, obviously that's where I've come into my own and I love 
paddling. Um, I I just think it's such a cool sport, so um, that helps as well. Um, being at, or loving the sport, I guess it, it helps you perform to a higher level as well. And so, did that click straight away? Like that that sort of love of paddling and sort of finding that sport and going, okay, this is this is a really good fit for my strengths as a you know athlete sort of into something that I can really love did that happen straight away or was it just through you know sort of a bit of time or results or was there anything sort of special that occurred in that pathway um, have you ever paddled a kayak before a race kayak no no well you know this is interesting so I've started to do some uh, surf ski paddling in the last couple of months and uh, as a rower, you sort of naturally go, well, you know, I've been involved in a boat and water, so there's some things that I should be up to sort of easily. <laughs> I've discovered that it's a whole different skill set, which, which is actually what's kept it really sort of fun and um, I'm enjoying it because it's sort of something completely new and different. There's, there's enough that you sort of go, okay, I've got something that's familiar, but then there's a whole new world. So I'll say my sort of... Um, skill set and sort of knowledge on it is is limited but I'm I'm learning some aspects <laughs> well I think you know so for me when I first jumped in the kayak um you know and being I think I jumped in when I was 15 or maybe almost 15 um you know as a kid you can pick up things quite quickly and I spent the first probably four or five months upside down uh, because kayaking is so hard in fact just through this COVID period with a lot of athletes you know being at home and um, having more time on our hands we've had a few athletes come and high level athletes like BMX and, and um, Dane Bird Smith you know Olympic medals walker come and be like oh yeah I'll try kayaking and I'll, I'll be able to do it and no one's been able to do it so far straight away so it definitely didn't click for me straight away and um, I'd love to meet someone who, who it does. And so you, you spend the first little while um, being challenged by the fact that you can't stay upright and so that is what keeps, well, that's what kept me there because obviously we all like a challenge and it's like, it's like um, I guess, riding a bike. You don't want to give up until you can actually ride or start riding riding in a straight line so um i was committed to to paddling until i could basically not get my hair wet um but once i you know was able to do that that's when it clicked for me and that's when i realized i really like paddling i guess because um well first of all you know i i like kayaking i like paddling in general ski paddling ocean ski paddling kayaking but for me um i like kayaking the most because the best person always wins um and in surf um conditions come into play and 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 that's hard as an athlete um and i take my hat off to all of the um surf lifesavers because it is difficult to um spend so much time dedicated to a goal only to you know get to a race and you might get unlucky with um the alley you draw and you get hit by a wave and your race is over so, yeah, so a few things came into play with, with me, with what made me click with kayaking. But, yeah, ultimately it, it happened eventually. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, it's so true in terms of that starting point and just even getting the basics is like a big achievement in paddling. So it's, you know, and, and perhaps that's sort of something that, you know, um, some sort of uh, people and some athletes immediately sort of uh, that galvanizes them to the sport because they're like, okay, I've got to get to the next thing. And sort of that's a big deal when you can stay 
you know, afloat and dry and then you start to get a bit of speed on board and you're like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. And so, um, yeah. And, and I think it's probably similar to rowing. Um, you know, the faster you go, the almost the easier it becomes. Uh, you know, going fast is easy to an extent. Um, and so just, you know, I'm always, and Jordan, my husband and I always talk about the fact that we search for that feeling because, um, you know, you're paddling well when it's just gliding so easily. And so that's probably what keeps you paddling and keeps you motivated. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that you almost, when you get to a certain level, you start to take for granted because that becomes the norm of your training sort of, you know, sessions and, and how you usually get out in the water. But um, the path to get there, like when you think about when you first started and just how, uh, you know, how the basics were so hard to achieve in those first, you know, six months, 12 months, you know, two years, then, um, yeah, it's a pretty amazing journey sort of to get to a place now where, you know, you're going fast and that's just the norm. But it's, And then, um, you know, obviously that sort of then progressed into something that you went from falling in to getting good to getting really good. And so making your first team in 2009, um, how, how big a deal was that to you? Um. Huge. You know, I'd, I'd only been paddling for, I think, just under a year. So the time between being able to stay upright and making a team for me was quite quick. Um, and I think I made that first team just based on fitness. <laughs> um, I just spun my way down the course as quick as I could. It was probably super ugly. Um, and I know, you know, we made the team based on our, our single results, so the K1. Um, Whereas when you get overseas, you have to jump in a team boat, so a K2 or a K4, and I, and I obviously lacked experience and knowledge in, in the team boats. So it was a bit of a rude awakening for me. But, um, yeah, it was a huge deal, you know, having your first Aussie tracksuit um, is massive. Um, it was in year 12 that I made that. And so, um, you know, I traveled overseas at the middle of grade 12, which was also a big deal because you're missing out on school. And uh, yeah, I, I often reflect back on that team and um, it was a massive turning point, I guess for me as like a person, but also as an athlete, because when I got over there um, and I, and I talk about this when I talk to kids actually in schools is, is I thought, you know, making an Australian team, you know, how good is this? Australians are really, really good at sport. Um, you see all over the media that, you know, Aussies are always winning medals or doing really well internationally. So I think, and I only kind of reflect back on this now and have realised this now, that I was probably naive thinking, you know, I'm on an Aussie team. I'm going to go all right when I get over there. I, I expected I'd be on if not near the podium and obviously that was very wrong uh, and we got over there and um, we got knocked out quite early and so I guess I was then at a crossroads as to like well this is a bit hard um, or hey let's pursue this properly and just seeing the girls over there that I was racing you know they'd been paddling their whole lives and they were massive you know built mus uh, with muscles upon muscles and um, for me that's when I realised that, okay, well, you actually have to put in some hard yards to be able to, to make it in this sport um, and that it, it is big fish, small pond over here in Australia and um, the big wide world is a lot uh, harder and a lot more difficult than what we all first think and, um, and that was the challenge, I guess. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's one of those experiences that, 
you know, you can get you fired up and sort of go, okay, I've got to get to work and, you know, I've got to a certain level and then there's a whole other sort of levels which I wasn't sort of really aware of or, you know, for some people I sort of, yeah, I can sort of see they get to that stage and go, okay, the, the road's too long to sort of get to where I want to get to in this sport. But it's, I mean, in sort of, you know, it's, it's a similar sport to, you know, um, rowing and even cycling and, you know, some of the other sort of sports where, uh, you just have to build up, I imagine, time, experience, kilometres, and, you know, that's, there's no shortcuts. I mean, and one of the things that I think um, I really liked about the sport of rowing is that there's no shortcuts, and so it actually sort of meant that, you know, if you actually got good at it, it was because you'd actually done the work and you couldn't fluke it. And, um, you know, uh, I imagine sort of, you know, at that point it was like, Obviously, the the sort of the fire to actually keep going was enough, you know, there to sort of go. Um, this is what something I want to pursue. But was there anything sort of in terms of you know that being a high, but it also sounds like a bit of a you know eye opener and and almost potentially a bit of a setback in your expectations. Um, was it a conscious decision from that point, or was it just staying involved and going, okay, I'm in it at the moment. I'll I'll keep going. Um. Well, I think at the time I thought it was definitely a conscious decision to keep going. Obviously, after that, I finished grade 12. Um, and so you obviously have to make a few life decisions there. So, um, you know, I chose to do uni part-time and um, look at doing kayaking a bit more. And I think, you know, I thought I was kind of making that decision to uh, try hard is the wrong word, but, um, you know, put more energy into it, I guess, to be able to get to the level of those girls. And um, I I think I was, you know, unlucky and lucky at the same time in the timing of my career um, and definitely more lucky than not is that the next year I made the senior team. And so I was 17 at the time, so quite young to be on the senior team and kind of rubbing shoulders with you know, girls that had won a bronze medal at the Olympics before and, um, you know, the, the men's team was really coming to their own and um, they went on to win a gold medal at the next Olympics. So I made that team and I think I all of a sudden fell back into that uh, mindset that I was in going into junior worlds where, hey, this is pretty cool. Like, I'm, I'm pretty all right here. And, um, yeah, I, again, reflecting back on it, I think I was a bit blind to the fact that I still needed to do some more work. And and I think, um, you know, we spoke about before, obviously it takes time in the sport. And um, I guess because I made that transition from junior to senior so quickly is, is that I started to get ahead of myself and I started to think, okay, well, I've made that progression so quickly. So, hey, the next goal, I guess, the next level is, uh, world championship medal and then it's, you know, on to the Olympics. And so that was, I was just rushing. Um, and so I was always one step ahead of myself and it took me a while to kind of catch up with myself. So I had quite a few years, probably 2010 to 2014, I think, where I it was just too, getting too far ahead of myself and I didn't really improve. Um, I got to that level in 2010 and just stayed there. Uh, and so that was difficult, obviously, to figure out why. And um, it kind of wasn't until I met um, Bully, Alyssa Bull, who's now my K2 partner, and she was the one that kind of showed me kind of how to work hard properly. So um, not just going through the motions, I guess, you know, um, actually asking questions at every stage and um, 
yeah, and I'm also not taking it too seriously as well, which um, you follow her and I, we clearly don't take things too seriously, but I think that's who we are and it's helped us perform. So my first world championship medal um, at, in a, at an under-23 level came in 2014 and that's kind of when everything has started to progress upwards again. And do you think it was uh, a lot around understanding that with training you could find another level in terms of just work, intensity, you know, focus, quality, all those things? And, I mean, that, that takes a bit of time and a bit of maturity as an athlete to sometimes discover those new levels where when you're a young athlete you are enjoying it, you know, and if you have some early success you can sort of feel like you've probably done enough to sort of then just train and almost go through the motions a little bit but was yeah was it sort of that kind of next level of just focus intensity in a training environment which made a difference yeah well I think you know growing up and and we see this a lot I guess with junior athletes transitioning through is that you think the more I train the better I am um, and the fitter I am the faster I am and I slowly learned that that's not the case you know obviously you have to be fit and strong and you know you have to be to a certain level but um at the end of the day when you're on that start line at an international level everyone's trained the same amount um you know everyone's trained hard it's it's about uh looking at your kind of individuality within the sport and um looking at how you can um, capitalize on that and capitalize on your strengths and improve your weaknesses so um yeah when she kind of or when her and I kind of teamed up, we we peeled back the layers a little bit, I guess, and and started to individualize our programs a bit more, and and ask more questions, and you know review our videos a bit more, and kind of understand ourselves as athletes a bit more, and also kind of bring that support network along for the ride. So we weren't just these junior athletes turning up and doing what we were told, which is obviously a good thing as well. But we were really invested. Um, and so that, I think that is definitely what has made the difference. And so not to give away your trade secrets, but what, what are your, you know, what are your strengths that you identify with? Like as a, and as a world-class athlete now, what are the things that make you world-class and, you know, able to go into a world champs and Olympic games with, uh, you know, sort of metal ambitions and what's what are those things that you sort of really draw on as an athlete and identify with? Well, I think the biggest thing for me and I've, I've learned over the years um, that works for me is, and I use this phrase a lot, is to simplify the complicated. And I do that with everything I do. Um, so, you know, a race plan, I don't overcomplicate it. Um, you know, there's... Well, I mean, there's about 100 double strokes you can take, so that is a lot of strokes. But <laughs> um, you can only do what you can do. So, um, and, and we use that as well within training as well. You know, we try to look at where we can improve but don't sweat the small stuff too much um, because you can often get wrapped up in, in that and, and lose sight of the bigger picture. So I think, you know, for me that's, that's a massive strength to not – overthink things obviously it happens sometimes and it happens to all of us but um in a general sense not overthink things i think on the water um my strength is first of all i'm quite tall and have long levers so that definitely helps but um i'm quite explosive um out of the start but 
also have fitness to back myself up and so I can like capitalize off an explosive start. Um, and then, yeah, I think just off the water, you know, within a team um, point of view, being able to, I'm a very open book and, and like to have a chat and stuff. So that really works well in a team sport. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things sort of the, you know, the simple mantra. Um, it's, and it's sort of, yeah, it's a rhetoric that is around um, sport a lot in terms of keeping things simple. And then there's also ones that sit alongside that sometimes can get confusing, like the one percenters and, you know, and elite athletes are sort of, you know, really got to focus on the one percenters. And I always think it's sometimes confusing for younger athletes coming up that, well, what am I supposed to focus on being simple and just focusing on, you know, the, the really key important stuff? Or am I supposed to focus on, yeah, the small details sort of things? And I think almost as a young athlete, sometimes you go through this period where you're naturally just good and things are simple and then you go into a bit where you know a bit more and then that starts to confuse things. And then I think the, the biggest myth almost out there is that elite athletes are just very good at focusing on simple things. Um, that's that's why they're very good. Uh, and so, yeah, so that makes sense that, well, obviously you've got to a level now where uh, you can control sort of all the information that does sit around you as a you know an elite athlete and, and sort yeah. of use it in a way that you go far. One thing Bully and I have done is, um, and particularly I guess leading into Tokyo, we've um, put a massive emphasis on our K2. Um, we like, truly believe we can be on the podium for the K2. So we've kind of built a team around us um, using different support staff, you know, have different um, expertise in different areas. And so where we have a meeting once a month just to kind of table all of our ideas, um, which are quite scary sometimes because some of the sessions are set up so like vomit worthy and I can't wait for this next block. But um, it's great having that because obviously we're all really invested and we're all on the same page. Um, but at the same time, if there is those one percenters um, that we do need to work on, that's when it's tabled uh, or we can put it back on them and they can kind of take it on board um, to help us kind of in the background. So, you know, we share the load almost. Obviously, we're the ones that are performing on the water, but I think, you know, a strong performance can't come without a strong team. And so um, everyone on that table is just as invested, I think, as, as we are. Uh, so that's helped simplify things a lot as well because you don't have uh, as much on your plate, I guess. And so uh, Rio Olympics was um, your first Olympic Games. Uh, and as an experience and, and um, competing with Bully there in the K2. So um, just as an experience as an athlete going to your first Olympics and um, what that did for you in terms of, you know, your just confidence of um, understanding the event of that scale, but then sort of what it sort of meant for going into Tokyo. Just talk through that experience a little bit because it must have been pretty cool, um, you know, getting to, getting to Rio. Yeah, I think, yeah, for us, um, qualifying for Rio, first of all, was a bit of a shock. I mean, obviously, everyone wants to qualify for the Olympics and you don't go to an Olympic trials without wanting to qualify. But um, in the K2, we'd never beaten the other girls before and they were faster than us in K1 and K2, stronger than us, more experienced, you know, the works. And so I think, first of all, qualifying was, um, or we, you know, achieved that because we just worked so well as a team. And so 
kind of brought that forward into the Olympics. Um, but we're two just young, you know, wide-eyed girls, just a bit in awe of the whole process. Uh, and it was probably a, a blessing, to be honest. You know, we were never going to go to Rio and win a medal. Um, but we went to Rio knowing we could be in the final, um, but no one else thought we could. So that was also fun to navigate um, expectation or kind of lack of expectation and um, try to one-up people with that. Um, and I guess now going into Tokyo, we, we know how to handle different expectation and pressures and uh, we know what the Olympics looks like. So we're in a much better position. Well, it whatever Tokyo looks like, but we're in a much better position going into there. So in Rio, um, you know, we were ranked probably, I think around 16th or something in the world. And we moved, uh, we like, as we progressed through, we made the final, um, which was a shock to a lot of people, including ourselves. And we were the youngest boat in the final. We were the only non-Euros in the final, which is also exciting. Um, but we, the night before our race, a massive storm came up and, they couldn't clean the course in time. It's full of black trees and leaves and all crap in the water. And we ran into it. I'm smiling, but I'm only just starting to smile about it. Um, we ran into a big leaf at the start of the race, about five metres in, and so carried that for 495 metres. And so we came last in the final. And so, you know, our Rio experience was just super weird because it was this massive hive, obviously, being at the Olympics and it's your first Olympics and so much is going on and then you make the final and it's huge news um, in our sport, particularly being the own, only non-Europeans and and then that happens um, and it happened in a few races that day so that made it a bit better. But, um, yeah, we definitely learned a lot about ourselves um, and also about goal setting and achieving goals and, and all different things that take a long time to explain. But um, we're in a much better position, I think, moving into Tokyo. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, it sounds, again, it's sort of a bit bittersweet in terms of the experience, but but it's amazing how those experiences then, you know, in terms of your ability to go to that next level and to set yourself up to become a world-class athlete, they're almost the rite of passage, aren't they, in terms of, you know, being able to navigate through things that don't go quite Right, so they go right, and then you know, um, you know, they don't go quite right, and uh, and I think as you know, the, the very best athletes learn how to navigate through that. So um, I think it was a blessing in disguise. Now, I mean, you know, obviously it hurt a lot of the time, particularly not 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 knowing how we were ever meant to go in an Olympic final. Like that hurts still, but um, you know, it's made me realize that you've kind of got to focus on the little goals along the journey because sometimes things. Uh, taken out of your control and that result was not in our control at all uh, it was just a completely unlucky thing and also I can now live my life knowing that I've had some pretty bad luck dealt so <laughs> I should be on the good luck bandwagon from now on <laughs> as a as a gains and an experience you know um, going back to that very first uh, you know when you're a young girl at the Sydney Olympics and then getting to a Rio Games what was that like in terms of just that realization that you'd you'd made sort of that, um, you know, real dream, a reality. Um, huge. I mean, I think obviously the Olympics as a spectator is so different to the Olympics as an athlete. And obviously being an eight-year-old at Sydney, I was kind of just being dragged around by mum and more interested in the mascots. 
but <laughs> um, I guess reaching that goal and, you know, the Olympics is held in such a um, huge kind of light, I guess, was huge for me. And um, I probably didn't realise the weight of it until we actually got home from the Olympics. Um, but uh, it was it was something that um, I think my expectations didn't quite meet the actual reality and not in a bad way. Um, but, you know, it's just so different on the inside of the um, athlete life, I guess, the athlete or the village and, um, you know, that, that line where the spectators can't cross and it is just completely business and um, kayaking is in the second week and so of the Olympics. And so, um, you know, you got your race hat on for the whole Olympic Games. And so, yeah, it was definitely different, but um, an experience that you just can't put into words. I mean, I've tried for so many years now and you just, I don't know how to explain it. But I, I also know that Tokyo is going to be a very different experience to that as well. So I'm also very excited to um, be presented with something a little bit different as well. Rio Olympics, obviously, you know, as a first off Olympic experience sounded like it was, you know, net, net, like super positive as, you know, becoming an Olympian, going to the Olympic Games, understanding that as a scale of an event, this is something completely different to what you'd probably experience at a World Cup and World Champs and, yeah. um, and Weird, so, though, because there's less athletes there, like a bit in terms of kayaking, in, you know, in the actual kayak venue, there's way less athletes in at a world championship. So it's like, I'm at the Olympic Games, but like not as many people can paddle here. So you hop on the water and normally you're trying to find nice water to warm up in and um, it was everywhere. <laughs> so definitely weird. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, and so the people on the outside probably don't understand that perspective of, you know, world championships where you turn up and there's heaps of boats and sort of, you know, just – you know, it's a real athlete-centric sort of, you know, competition in terms of all the sort of athletes from every country in the world are sort of there. And, and then the Olympics, it's it's all been filtered back to the best of the best. And so the numbers, that's almost sort of something to actually get comfortable with too, isn't it? Just the fact that not everyone's there. And so it feels almost like, um, yeah. yeah. And, and it's hard because, or not hard, I guess, you know, you're, you're at the Olympics, so you know you're going to, every race is going to be hard. But um, sometimes at a world championships, you know, you'll have five, six heats, uh, whereas at the Olympics we only had three in the K2. And um, when you have five or six heats, obviously depending on your heat draw, um, sometimes you you might be dealt a heat that you're like, oh, this is a bit easier. I don't have to show all my cards um, in this heat. I can, you know, do... 250 um and then i can back it off five strokes i guess um through the second half so when you get to the olympics it's obviously completely different because it's the best of the best there so every single race is an absolute make or break um and so that is obviously you have to learn quickly and you know that going into the olympics that that's going to happen um but yeah a lot of a lot of differences for sure i mean as well and you learn it's about tv and so you know, a heat and a semi was within an hour of each other, whereas that would never happen at, at a world championships. And I mean, it played to our advantage, um, but yeah, yeah, lots of differences. Yeah, and I mean, and you're only yeah, you can sort of be told that, but you only really sort of learn from it when you get to experience it. So, um, and and then obviously the momentum of an Olympic year then into the next year, where some athletes sort of you know. Um, might take a backward step, but you obviously took a big 
forward step in becoming a world champion. Uh, talk us through that experience because, you know, as an athlete, I think there's there's probably two things, you know, in the sports that we've been involved in that you're ultimately aiming for to be an Olympian and, you know, Olympic medalist, but to be a world champion. And uh, that must have been pretty special to, you know, put that together in 2017. Yeah, I think, you know, coming home from the Olympics, um, you know, we were really positive about it, but we obviously got a bit unlucky in the final. And so um, I almost came home feeling like I had a point to prove um, and also wanting to capitalise, you know, on the kind of gains we'd made that year. And so we came back and we focused quite a lot on our singles uh, that year and uh, we went to world champs and, and we did race the double and we got seventh. And seventh is like the story of my career. It's like I've got seven so many times. It's absolutely ridiculous. But uh, we got seventh again in the K2, which we were um, we were okay with, but, it, you know, it wasn't our kind of best performance. And then the next day I had the final of the K1. And so the K1000 I raced in um, isn't on the Olympic program, so it's a world championship event. Uh, and um, But... A thousand is probably more suited to my type of race, and so I was I was super excited to first of all have a go at the thousand, um, and at a like a, have a singles burst at a world championships. Um, and again, I, I think I I raced with a point to prove a lot, but um, I had won the um, K one five hundred um, selection that year and um, we went to world championships which is the olympic event we went to world championships and i couldn't race it because of the program clash and so i really just wanted to try and get and this is how i raced my final i really wanted to try and get a really good time for the first 500 because i'd done so much work in that event that year that um i just wanted to see how fast i could go basically and then i hung on for 500 meters after that and it hurt like hell but <laughs> um I learned a lot about myself and about my racing and, um, yeah, there's no better feeling than, first of all, crossing line first, um, but second of all, I think standing on the podium, you know, singing a national anthem um, with so many people in the crowd, I guess, that have helped you to get to that point. Uh, it, was a, it was a huge moment and I think for me it was even more special because um, two races before me, the boys won the K4000 and so Jordan, uh, my husband being in that boat, uh, I didn't know that they'd won uh, because I was at the start line, okay, up the, up the canal. And I knew they'd race and, you know, you try to kind of be like, oh, I wonder where they are, but obviously you have no idea. And I couldn't hear the commentary because there was just so much crowd and whatever. And so when I crossed the line and won, obviously I was stoked. And then I looked at the pontoon um, and just where they're standing, you know, they'd won. And so that was also very special. So we both won our first world championship um, gold medals within five minutes of each other, which was also cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's actually that um, story of the first 500 then uh, holding on for the last um, bit explains one of my questions because I was going to ask, did you get to enjoy Because, you know, and, and people could um, – should jump onto YouTube, but we'll actually sort of include the link um, in this podcast um, info. But, you know, it's one of those races where you actually, you've got great margin and, and you actually finish, you know, well clear of the field. But I imagine sort of um, when you are hanging on, uh, you're not feeling the, you know, sort of rush of, you know, that sort of um, 
margin that you've built up, you're just trying to get to the finish line. Yeah, it's funny actually watching that race back. So so I went into that race and I knew um, the Hungarian girl, she actually didn't even end up on the podium, but she hadn't been beaten all year and I think a couple of years prior to that. And um, so she was the one to beat. Um, and I knew she had a strong second half, um, but so I knew I wanted to try and break her at the start basically and I, and I knew if I could try and drag her out and kind of, at the start. And I know you meant to make race your own race, but you obviously think about this type of stuff. Um, you know, I'm I am fit and I and I do have like relatively good feel for the water, so I should be able to pull it through at the end. But I I kind of transitions transitioned as an athlete, I guess, and a paddler within that race because I said, you know, I'm just gonna give it my all in the first five hundred. But I guess in the back of my mind, I knew I had to finish a thousand and not fall in and not make a fool of myself. So um, I didn't rate as high as what I would normally rate in a 500 and and not because I didn't try to, I guess it was just an unconscious thing that happened. Um, But it actually made me realize that my rating needs to stay lower in an actual 500 race to be efficient. So it was a blessing in disguise that, um, you know, smart Elise, I guess, in the back of my head kept me at a lower rating uh, so I could actually make the end. But, yeah, I was, I was, I mean, going through the 200-metre boys, the 200 metres to go, you know, I was quite clear and um, I did know that I had enough boat speed so that if basically if I stayed upright, um, I'd win. And so it was, it was a very cool feeling. There's no doubt about that, but I've, it hurt a lot. So it was hard to enjoy. Um, at the end, I took my legs out of the boat and everyone's like, why did you do that? I'm like, because I literally like had nothing. I I was gonna fall in otherwise. So yeah, it was a it was a it was a race, that's for sure. Good. Yeah, well you you got it all out. So you you didn't leave anything out there going, I could have gone a little no. harder here. <laughs> Which is not. a good feeling. I mean and when you win, obviously, um, you still feel pain, but it, it seems to disappear pretty quickly when you lose that pain sticks around. It's so easy to be yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you recover quickly, for sure. And so, I mean, obviously, you know, as an athlete and your sort of journey, that is a huge milestone to go and uh, have that success at that level. And then uh, the road into Tokyo, so navigating through further world champs and then the qualifying. I suppose in terms of the preparation into a Tokyo Olympics, like it was what you'd sort of consider all on track in terms of where you were wanted to get to? Well, I guess um, it was a, a lead-in that was, I'm not going to say weird, but um, different to, I guess, if you're looking from the outside, what you would have expected us to do. So um, after 2017, you know, we, Bully and I kind of wanted to focus on the K2. Obviously, you know, been in Rio 2016, 2017, got seventh wanted to, you know, keep progressing on with that. Um, and obviously my K1 went very well that year. So from the outside, you'd look in and say, okay, well, they're going to paddle K1, K2. But um, leading into Rio, we only qualified three spots for the girls um, for the Olympic team. And so you can qualify a maximum of six. And so obviously the more girls on the team, a the better, because the more girls are on the team, there's more chance you're going to be on it. So selfishly, that's how you want it to look. But also, you know, the more Aussies there, the better as well. And so to do that, we needed to um, really work on our K4. 
And so Bully and I um, jumped into the K4 with, with Joe and Jamie and, and really focused on that in 2018. Um, and so we won a silver medal at the World Cup and set the Australian record and um, we got seventh at Worlds, classic seventh. And then um, I raced the K1 that year at Worlds as well and got seventh. Um, and then we went into 2019 and um, we had to, that's when you qualify your, your spots for the Olympics and we had to focus on the on the K4 so we didn't race anything else um, to get those four spots. So I guess, you know, in kayaking you do have to kind of put aside, I guess, your personal um, goals, I, I guess. You know, I've, I've always really enjoyed the K2 and K1 and um, but you do need to put the team and the team's bigger picture above that um, because obviously – you know, that's helping yourself, but that's also helping the team. And I mean, I love K4 as well. And so we ended up qualifying that boat as well. And so uh, now we have six girls on the team for Tokyo. So double the amount we had in Rio. So yeah, it's been a, it's the four year or the three years, I guess, leading into, um, into the selections were different to what people thought probably would happen, but it all worked out in the end. Well, and all worked out until they postponed a year in terms of yes. Yeah, yes. when it was going to run. And I mean, that's obviously, you know, um, a sort of something that is you don't plan for. Like it's, you know, it's not um, in your, you know, even in your wildest considerations, would you ever sort of um, one of the comforting things, you know, always when I think about being an athlete is that there's a set date doesn't move everything sort of is lined up to that and so you've got to you know um everything sort of you know is working towards that date and then sort of you know this world obviously um changing this year and everything's sort of uh, been thrown up in the air and with tokyo being now sort of postponed for a year how did you you know cope with that initial news and then sort of how have you navigated through just you know, having to reset um, your, you know, sort of timelines. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've been through a lot of kind of ebbs and flows, I guess, as we've navigated through this whole time. And, um, I mean, first, first of all, and I'll kind of touch on a few of them. First of all, we had our um, Olympic trials the week before um, the 500 rule came in. So when ScoMo was like, you know, you can – only have less than 500 people at an event. So we just snuck in our national championships um, and then our selection went through um, as a result of that. So that week after the selections, that's when they said Australia wasn't sending a team to the Olympics. Um, and we were like, well, okay, no one's going, but are we going to be credited for the fact that we have qualified for the team and, you know, you've poured your heart and soul into that qualification. So some credit credit where credit's due I guess that was the first thought um because I had to go through legal processes and whatever um and so that happened but then we were like okay well but will that selection remain for a year and then the um AOC came out and said they would honor all selections that were currently made so that was kind of a relief um but there was a lot of kind of chat obviously around with people saying that's not fair and you know so you had to kind of navigate through this whole thoughts and feelings process, I guess. Uh, but I think ultimately it's going to make our team faster and stronger because we have a, um, particularly as this whole thing unfolded and it's, you know, obviously there's more 
than what we thought back in March. It's gone on for a lot longer. So, um, yeah, like that was a tough process. But then, I mean, for me, like the postponement of the Olympics, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, it was like, okay, well, you know, the world's kind of going through some stuff at the moment. So obviously we can't go to the Olympics. And so I didn't cry. Um, I just copped it on chin and moved on. And like literally the day we got told, Jordan and I um, were cleaned out our um, cupboard at home, like our wardrobe. So whereas other people obviously, you know, were had whatever they did, but we were just so, so okay with it. And that was kind of how I felt the whole way through until um, the Olympic dates, I guess, rolled around at the end of July. And so Jordan and I went, went um, about isolation or whatever you call it up in Queensland, um, paddled by ourselves. I re-found my love for paddling because, you know, you're out of a high-performance bubble and you can kind of think about your own strokes without a motorboat there and, and things. And I, it was great. I, like, thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I've become a better athlete because of it. Um, I think I've prolonged my career because of it. And, like, I was like, sick go COVID. I love this. And then those dates rolled around. And I think that's when I was like, okay. And like you said before, you know, as an athlete, you always have these dates in your mind. And, um, you know, we've been thinking about those dates and planning around those dates for four years now. And then all of a sudden all the stuff on social media is coming up and you know, those dates yourself. And that's when I started to think, okay, well, this kind of sucks. <laughs> um, and I've got a whole another year to, dedicate to this and and whatever and and so that was hard um and I think to be honest the hardest thing for me was the fact that so my birthday was um like the day we were meant to land back in Australia and so for me that date and obviously it's a birthday that date was always in your head was the day of transition out of athlete life and into well I'm not sure like was I going to keep going was I going to retire were we going to start a family was I going to get you know, a corporate job, well, all these things. And for so many years, I've been so focused on my next chapter because that's been such a big thing that's been drilled into us as athletes. You know, you transition, make sure you set up. And so I've planned so hard along that. And then all of a sudden these dates rolled around and I was like, oh, <laughs> I can't, like that's out of my control. And so the, the week kind of around that was hard. Um, and probably more so around the whole family aspect of things, you know, wanting to start a family and you're only getting older, not younger, and I'm not old at all. But um, that's something that Jordan and I really wanted to do and obviously you just, that, that decision's taken out of your control. Um, and so, I mean, I could, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, that was a tough week, but I think it's been nice to... Um, kind of have that low because I obviously needed to talk about it um, and it's like table everything, I guess. And um, now I'm, you know, way more excited about the next year um, and also setting different plans for the 11th of August next year. <laughs> yeah. And it's true actually in terms of when you think, you know, um, 
it is you know something that was unexpected and you're going to have you know some ups and downs and you'd almost be concerned if you didn't go through a bit of a flat spot because if it didn't happen then it you know you don't want to get to you know the middle of next year and start to go oh, this just feels like a grind and so almost going through that flat spot allows you to almost just re sort of pack everything again and just go okay now we're set for this next sort of 12 month running it's funny, my, my breaking point is bizarre. So, um, you know, like I said, I was fine, I was fine, I was fine, and I know I was fine, and I've spoken to my psychologist about this, and I wasn't just, like, suppressing feelings. I literally was going well. And then the breaking point, and my poor gym coach copped it, um, was, <laughs> and I apologise to him since, poor guy. Anyway, he's a, he's a great guy though, so he copped it well. But um, I guess through this period, because um, there's not a lot you can kind of work towards um, in terms of setting goals and outcomes and you don't know when your next event is. Um, so we've we've kind of broken everything down into blocks and, and this block uh, has been about gym and strength and building a strength in a gym. And so in sport, because I don't have, obviously the Olympics is a year away, so it's a hard goal to focus on. I guess you need to have a smaller goal. So in in sport, the goal has been building strength. Um, outside of sport, I haven't been able to progress, you know, family life, um, career, um, you know, Jordan and I might want to invest or whatever. We haven't been able to do those things. And so I've been unconsciously I guess focusing on these strength gains and then they changed our technique on something in the gym on bench pull and which meant your weight had to go down so you could execute the technique better to then hopefully go further on in your weight later on and uh, so he pulled weight off my bar which is just so superficial like who really cares and I was just I just broke down and started bawling my eyes out and the first thing I said to him without an explanation was just like I just want to be a mom and he was like what <laughs> and that was my breaking point and so yeah that that obviously you know showed a lot about me and um my, I guess, life goals and, and well, yeah, he, he was, probably wasn't prepared was, for that conversation. <laughs> no, but I mean, he's really glad it happened. And um, luckily, our psychologist is in the building at the time, so I went straight up to her and I was like, I don't know what just happened. Why do I care so much about bench pull? <laughs> um, but we obviously got through that, and now bench pull's going well. <laughs> Good. Okay, so bench pull's back on track. Good. Ooh, I'm glad to hear. And actually, I mean, it's does it make it easier sort of being married to uh, an athlete who's in the same sort of scenario and you can sort of, you know, I suppose bounce off the frustration and then sort of plan, you, you're sort of planning together, I suppose. So it's, it's not like one is sort of going, well, you know, COVID hasn't sort of changed things too much for me. Both of you are going through, you know, um, the same experience. Does that, does that help a lot? Yeah, for sure. Just that mutual understanding and um, also, I guess, knowing that he knows my support network and I know his support network and um, like leaning on that as well so you don't feel like you're alone. Um, but, yeah, it's been a massive help. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, how do you date someone in sport? And also in my circumstance, his mum's my coach. So it's all very like like this and people often 
make comments about that and say, you know, is all you talk about is kayaking and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's, it's not, um, you know, we have so much more outside of that, but yeah, just having that mutual understanding and, and kind of, you kind of know when those ebbs and flows are going to hit almost, you can preempt them to a degree. Obviously I didn't know the bench pool was going to be a trigger, but um, neither did he, neither did anyone. If anyone predicted that, I'd be super surprised. But um, I think, yeah, it's it's been a massive, massive help. So, And, uh, I mean, like, you know, sort of um, the world is unpredictable, but I'm pretty confident that uh, we're not going to see another change in dates with Tokyo. But it's, it's now, I suppose, you know, almost that reset sort of phase and almost, um, you know, sort of now can start to get back on that exciting momentum building into an Olympics. And if, if nothing else, I, I think sort of the world is almost looking forward to Olympics more because we've been in this period where, you know, all these things have been shut down and, you know, everyone's been in isolation. And so the idea of an Olympic Games where it does bring the world together, I think, is... Um, probably more important than sort of, you know, it has been for the last number of Olympics, just given the circumstances in the world and um, what everyone's going through. So, you know, are you feeding off that energy a bit or are you sort of just trying to just go through the baby steps at the moment again? Um, I mean, I definitely am. It, it's hard though. Well, first of all, I think it's it's lucky that we're selected and our team, you know, is secured because I guess we can use that, um, Olympic date as as our goal. Uh, you know, we don't have the unknown of, oh, what if nationals gets postponed or what if trials looks different or um, obviously we'll still want to go to different um, domestic regattas and things like that. But if they don't happen, um, it's not detrimental to us. So it's, it's really great to, to be able to fully focus on those dates, which is funny because we're talking about dates, you know, and we are, again, focusing on legitimate dates. Um, but it, it's difficult because everyone you see in the street um, has an opinion. And I think every day, literally, people are saying, you know, oh, do you know anything else about the Olympics? And it's like, well, no, I know as much as you do. But I reckon nine people out of ten are pessimists and think and say the Olympics won't go ahead, and that's oh, really? hard to hear. Oh. Yeah, because as an athlete, I mean, I'm on the same page as you. I, I can't see them not having the Olympics now. But um, as an athlete, you need to be able to focus on those dates because if I'm not focusing on those dates now, I'm not doing the work that I need to do to be able to be the best next year. And so. Um, when people say that type of thing, it's like, well, okay, that's your opinion. And um, sure, if it doesn't go ahead, then congratulations, you're correct. But like that, it doesn't have anything. I, I can't control that. And I can't be thinking like that because I'm, if it is, I'm not going to be good enough next year. And so yeah. that's been difficult. Um, and we've all definitely felt that and we've all like spoken about it and um, it sucks and it's, and it's almost it's almost as if people some people don't want it to go ahead because it's like they've had things taken away from them. So, um, but I agree. I think once it does roll around, the Olympics will be such a like uniting thing. And even if it looks different, um, you know, it, whatever that may look like, I think it will definitely unite the world in some way and just be such a positive thing uh, and so different to any other Olympics. And I. 
And I genuinely think, okay, there might be some, you know, shortfalls like maybe the opening ceremony won't be as big or, you know, less spectators or whatever that is. Um, but I think it, there will be more of a positive than a negative. Yeah, well, I'm supremely confident that the Olympics will go ahead and we'll get to see you race and uh, and hopefully be in a position to win a medal and sort of uh, and be able to celebrate that because it feels like you know your journey as an athlete's leading to that point in terms of what you've you know been through and you know that initial Olympics world champion. It feels like that sort of the momentum is there to go and uh, have a really successful Tokyo Olympics. And so we're you know, obviously really excited to follow that journey over this next period of time. And um, it will happen. Don't worry. I'm, I'm supremely <laughs> confident it will happen. I'm sure it will too. And I think you're right. It'll be different in terms of some sort of normal things that occur at the Olympics. But I think the benefit they have now is that they've got time to plan and sort of logistics and and uh, all the things that sort of need to occur. Um, if they can get, you know, the AFL footballers and tennis players and sort of golfers around the world all sort of starting to compete again, then uh, the Olympics will go ahead. Exactly. So um, really enjoyed the um, conversation today and sort of learning a bit more about your journey, but also just I think sort of, you know, uh, your approach to you know being an athlete and sort of it's clear that you're someone that has got sort of you know quite sort of an intense sort of you know determined um, you know personality but but you know how to enjoy yourself too and I think sort of um, that's probably the most important sort of thing to that you'll sort of probably have to you know you know you've tapped into over this last period of time to sort of you know keep motivated and and that's sort of what makes that whole journey of being an athlete so um rewarding so so thanks for sharing your um story with us thanks for having me no i i've, I've enjoyed it i sometimes i share a bit much but i'm an open book that's for sure <laughs> well that's what people want to sort of you know learn and sort of understand and no one wants to sort of you know just listen to the the standards sort of press conference um they want to understand yeah. you know that we're real people and sort of what you do is relatable so no yeah and, uh, thank I'll you i'll keep you updated on my bench pool <laughs> Please do. yeah good. we're back on track okay <laughs> thanks Lise. really appreciate it okay see ya and that concludes this episode of the movement thanks elise for sharing her story and thank you for listening this episode was brought to you by 776 bc Find us online at 776bc.com and on social media at 776bc. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends and family. From the whole team at 776bc, we look forward to bringing you the next episode of The Movement.